Alex. 81, dude. You're episode 81. Alright. Episode 81. Yeah. Oh my God. We are, we're rolling. Alright. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 81 of Convos on the Pedicab. I am here with Haram Garcia. Um, if you guys don't know who he is, Haram is actually the person who videotaped um, the incident last summer where Garrett Foster got shot by somebody driving a vehicle on 4th and Congress. And the reason, I mean, aside from the fact that you, you know, saw a live murder take place in downtown Austin, a, a big reason this case got so much attention is because of Haram actually videotaping this and getting this out to the public. So I'm really excited to have you. And, um, thanks for coming. This is a big deal. I've always been interested in this case. I've known people that were at the protest. So what went down that night? Let's talk about it, right? Let's get into it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very, quick way to get into it. First of all, thank you for having me. Uh, and, you know, regarding that case, what happened that night? Uh, well, I, I think we can't talk about that night without first kind of understanding the general context of how protests were developing in Austin. I think it was very unique to uh, other cities uh, across the country, mainly because of how APD was responding to protests. So really early on, right, uh, we saw what a lot of folks feel are like, um, riots right people burning cars looting stores and then uh you know Please. apd go ahead you i feel like you kind of saw a mixture of that yeah 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 you did absolutely like it was like all kinds of people you know with all kinds of intentions out there uh but anyway apd at first you know was very upfront aggressive riot shields you know uh rubber bullets tear gas and after that you know first weekend somebody within city council decided or city council as a whole decided you know out with all these you know non-lethal uh, tactics and shortly after that you know protests completely shifted in austin so people started uh defying uh orders from the police not by destroying property but mostly by uh marching on the street right that was like uh the number one cause of arrest in, in austin for those two months it was just blocking the street, being on an intersection. Yeah, you didn't really see too much um, rioting or looting or anything aside from that first weekend. Yeah. But, you know, you still saw that during the first weekend. And I think a lot of the rioting and the looting of small businesses and people like, like I saw a car get lit on fire when I was yeah. when I was out there. And I think a lot of that happening, especially because it happened during COVID, right after small businesses were forced to close for, you know, between one and two months. I think that's what really like rubbed people the wrong way regarding that. If, if that makes sense. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not sure if like people were necessarily, uh, you know, rubbed the wrong way, you know, entirely. I mean, I know that like a lot of people that saw the George Floyd video felt like the response was appropriate, right? People were just really upset and riled up and uh, nobody was necessarily, right, sitting down and strategically putting together what the best response was. It was more like people saw this murder and then there was a knee jerk reaction yeah. with a lot of folks, you know, like rioting and expressing this anger towards this event, you know, this way. But, um, so. but let me, let me ask something though, because I, I think that um, the conviction of that officer and him going to jail for the rest of his life is mm -hmm. the right approach. Um, I think that um, early on in the protests, a bunch of people showed up at that guy's house before he got arrested. I think that was the right approach. Yeah. Um, 
I think generally speaking, when a police officer does something extremely egregious like that, people should show up at their house. Yeah. Um, there was also an asset forfeiture issue where some lady got a hundred thousand dollars taken from her cash with no justifiable reason why. Yeah. At an airport um, in Dallas. A- um, if a bunch of people showed up to that officer's house because of that, hey, you'll see no complaints from me on that department at all. Um, but when you destroy a small business um, that had nothing to do with what happened, that has that is not justifiable. And all that does is turn people against that movement. Um, and it'll create a, a reverse effect where you get a culture of like bootlicking law enforcement. So I think that that's that, that was a thousand issue so, I had. But let me let me I'll let you. No, uh, I mean, I mean, so what you say is, is really right. I mean, you're right to point out that some of these strategies were uh, counterproductive right at the end, like instead of a lot of folks joining the movement, many other folks had a strong response against it because they were strongly against the show of force, you know, the looting, uh, you know, the, the small businesses that were hurt along the process. Uh, but I, I think that really speaks to how, you know, people in America digest news. I mean, that's across the board what the reaction is to some things that tend to be very controversial. I mean, think about the riots, right, as a result of the George Floyd murder. And then think about January 6th, the result of people feeling like the election was fraudulent. I think just across the board, you know, what you see is that people just get mad and people, they have people this are angry. jerk reaction. But I, but and, I, and that's just the way society functions. I think that the January 6th protest is different though. And I'm not justifying, I'm not like justifying it. But yeah. I think that, you know, the people that were storming the Capitol on January 6th um, were angry at government officials for um, not protecting our elections. And they targeted their anger towards the people that they were angry at. Whereas during the summer, the people just were angry and every, it was like um, col- like getting a coloring book and just filling the whole page with like a bunch of blue, green, yellow, orange, you know, purple crayons. Well, I want. That, 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 that's my take on the difference between us, right? So, yeah, I mean, sure. But I think at the end of the day, like, you know, when, when it comes to what is rational action, both could be justified as rational. And by rational, I mean, you know, game theory rational, Prisoners dilemma rational where uh, you're not necessarily, you know, doing the most uh, counterintuitive thing, which is the most rational for For instance, like uh, think about terrorism. The CIA recognizes terrorism as a rational action of uh, trying to produce change, right? Uh, because in essence, it makes sense because it works because it brings attention to an issue or it causes fear, it terrorizes people and that prompts action right um and in a lot of cases right the january 6 or the blm i think there are two rational approaches to try to bring attention to an issue whether it was targeting government officials or targeting small businesses the end goal is the same it is causing chaos that would bring attention to the issue and in that sense it's rational to do that it makes sense because i understand I, i do think that there is such a thing called manufacturing consent and I think that one of the things that COVID and the BLM protests also showed was the fact that big tech companies are way too powerful. Uh-huh. Be- because what you saw happen to George Floyd was totally egregious, right? Mm-hmm. Where nobody's going to argue that, okay? Yeah. Um, no, I, I think like everybody, pretty much everyone on every polit- like side of the political aisle is, is going to say what will be in agreement with both of us. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah. But um, if you think that this was blasted just by, by accident because a bunch of people just shared it, Inadvertently, I, I mean, I have a, 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 I have some oceanfront property in Arizona to tell you. Like this stuff got shared, 
this stuff got magnified and this stuff got was um, displayed all over the news in every outlet yeah. because the CEOs of these major corporations, the people in charge of the CEOs in election year, they wanted that to get out there. You know, it's kind of interesting that you think there's a tie to the larger context of like, you know, uh, the Democratic National uh, you know, convention or just getting elected or, you know, causing some kind of political controversy. But honestly, uh, from my experience, I think most of this is just profit driven. Like it just gets clicks, it gets views, you know, it makes money. And the core function of media corporations is to make profit because that's how they create influence. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know if there's like, an inherently strong agenda tied to these media companies beyond profit. I, I don't think Democrats or Republicans here are benefiting from the way that media functions. I think it's well, just I, people I, are I think money. that I think that um, I hope that you're right. I hope that it is just about profit because then a lot of these like um, way more serious concerns from a humanitarian standpoint get put to bed if it's just about money. Um, but I, I do feel like um, the COVID pandemic and the civil unrest that was following is, is being used to um, create a new world order. Yeah. Um, and I'm not trying to sound like Alex Jones. I'm not trying to put him in a tinfoil hat, but um, I've listened to like a bunch of World Economic Forum briefings about, about the Great Reset. Have you heard of the Great Reset, Aaron? The what? The, the Great Reset. The Great Reset. No, I'm not familiar with it. Okay. So the Great Reset is basically um, a goal and set of initiatives by the World Economic Forum um, the mm -hmm. United Nations, um, members of the, uh, just basically big tech oligarchs, mm -hmm. um, various, um, and globalist type NGOs to use this pandemic to restructure the world in a, um, in a more equitable and sustainable fashion. Okay. But which all sounds great. Yeah. But when only a small select group of people are deciding what is equitable and what is sustainable while leaving the rest of us out it can be a huge problem and i think that this what do you, what do you think is uh getting left out in particular and, and well, like working you, people and small business owners are getting left out in particular and, and and how are they getting left out from these conversations well okay so um let, let's talk about the media right mm -hmm. like the, the majority of people's talking points the majority of people's thought process, our, our day-to-day -day discourse, our thoughts and views of the world around us depend largely on what we see. Yeah. Who dictates what we see? Uh, the media. Yeah, social media. media, media. Social media, print media, mm -hmm. um, independent journalists, um, corporate news outlets, right? Yeah. Okay, so when um, somebody like Bill Gates is donating hundreds of millions of dollars to The Guardian and to MSNBC or to CNBC, right? And, and um, you know, heads of the World Economic Forum are donating large sums of money to like CNN or ABC or Jeffrey Epstein, um, or, or when a bunch of um, high-end executives at ABC were, were traveling with Jeffrey Epstein to his island. Mm -hmm. You know, these things are going to influence how the media covers certain things. And when you're manipulating how the media covers certain events, you can create narratives to manufacture consent into the world that you yeah i mean yeah that, that's a very uh yeah of course i, I think that like no I, I i get what you're saying like 100 
Uh, and I think that it all comes back to money, right? Like, it's all like, how much money is Bill Gates putting into this? How much money are all these other leaders putting into it? And honestly, I, I almost feel like that's where the conversation starts and ends is uh, how much profit you could be making from these different situations. Um, I mean, and, it, and it's obviously, you know, even more complicated than that. I so, mean, like, so I don't know that it's necessarily all about profit, though, because I think that these people have so much money. Yeah. Right. That they don't care about the money anymore. Like when you get a certain number of money, like mega billionaires are some of the most miserable people on the planet. Right. And so, well, it's the truth because there's a happiness threshold. And eventually, once you've yeah. experienced everything that you want to experience, there's nothing else can really make you happy. And the only thing that at that point will um, give you something to look forward to or provide any sense of happiness is control, yeah. right? And so I think that it's really about wanting to have as much control as you can over the entire populace. And that's why everything is, they're really trying to push towards centralizing everything. You know, I, you like know, with, I, with, 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 with digital, dot, like, and we're not talking about Bitcoin, we're talking yeah. about like central bank digital currencies and these health passports and trying to, you know, use advanced facial recognition technology as, as, a, as a way to like, stop future pandemics from happening. I think this is all being used to create a society where um, your movements, your financial transactions, what what you say, what you advocate for is gonna be closely monitored by a group of extremely wealthy and powerful people who want a certain world in their image. And if you start deviating from it and you become a threat, it becomes a lot easier for them to neutralize that threat. You know, honestly, I, I, I don't buy the whole conspiracy uh you know theory I, I i really do think that the the biggest and most prevalent motivation tends to be just control and and power and and that's really tied to like how much money you can accumulate um i you know one thing i think about a lot so i studied international relations at ut okay. uh, so i have a lot of uh you know experience looking into the efficiency of like you know the United Nations, the efficiency of different treaties and, you know, creating this global economy. And, but one thing that, you know, I always run into and I've always learned is that no matter how hard we try, no matter how involved we are in trying to change a society in a certain way, uh, there's always this inherent resistance that we can't overcome. For example, like in Iran, uh, for a really long time, the United States made attempts to try to transform Iran into a more Western society, you know, adopting ideas of capitalism, letting go of theocracy, uh, you know, and, and it didn't work. People just stood up and they resisted. And, and so there was no Western influence. And so, you know, you talk about creating this new world order. And I just wonder, like, is that even possible? I mean, like, there's been some ridiculous CIA operations where they go in and infiltrate, you know, the social media, media of certain countries, you know, and, and they try to educate people in a certain way so that they change the way that they think. And even then, that doesn't work. So, um, you know, is there really this large I, conspiracy? I, I, well, like, like a really cabal, of lizard, a cabal of like lizards and drake reptilians plotting in a castle to like, you know, um, create this new world order? No, but I do think that um, this plan for a new world order is here. Um, is being implemented on whatever scale that they can implement it on. Like if you look at Australia, right? If you look at yeah. Austria, if you look at like um, how the, the members of the, the, the head of the European Union wants the European Union wants to get rid of the Nuremberg Code uh, because of this COVID vaccine, 
yeah, it is. Be, it is being implemented. Um, I, I was. I've been reading like Bill Gates's book, How to um, Solve a Climate Emergency, mm-hmm. right? And you know, a lot of what he talks about doesn't really have anything to do with helping to make the environment better. It has to do with a him trying to pitch his his nuclear projects or his investments that he, you know, and try to frame it in a way that he, hey, look, look how I'm helping climate change if I do X, Y, Z with my firms, and this is why we should do this to help fight climate change and reduce emissions. But um, he also talks about the importance of cooperatization. And cooperatization sounds great, but cooperatization means that, you know, um, a, a whole multitude of nations have to be um, in lockstep with one another. And, yeah. you know, you have so, a European, you know, like maybe a bunch of countries in a, maybe a, a bunch of individual sovereign nations might disagree, but that's what a union of, of, of sovereign nations will do, like the EU. And if they start making these um, unions on a global scale, mm-hmm. then eventually this is, this is the world, this is how the world starts changing, right? So, you know, another, another question I, that comes to mind when thinking about these issues is, uh, so we're concerned, right, about the creation of a new world order, and you feel like a lot of it is, you know, going in the direction of centralizing government, having one set of oligarchs. So I think that that's the goal leaders. that these people want to do. Exactly. I think that it's so, fa- I do. I do actually think that it is failing spectacularly, and that is actually giving me a lot of hope in society. So yeah, one, I I don't think it would work, but but two also, um, you know, when thinking about, for example, like you know, human nature. I, I think about things like the tragedy of the commons, right? You let people do whatever they want and you get the purge or you get things like, I don't know if you've seen films, um, you know, such as, uh, God, I can't think of, uh, have you seen the platform on Netflix? It's the where like, there's all this food. It starts at like this top level and then there's all these prisoners in this really tall tower that's like 200 floors high. And then at the very beginning, at the very top, there's this platform that goes down through each room and they put enough food for everybody. And the platform just goes down and gives everybody a turn. So if you're at the top, you get all the food. And then what ends up happening is every everybody at the bottom gets no food because everybody eats the food. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah, at yeah. The top, Like people are greedy and they just eat it. So, you know, I also think that sometimes these attempts to centralize government or to have these countries on the same page or to impose more regulations is maybe based on the idea that that's really the only way that we might be able to, uh, you know, really create a more unified society that's not always at conflict with each other yeah. over greed, over like, you know what I mean? Because if that's, you let people that's never gonna, themselves- That's never gonna, that, I, look, I, I think that, uh, I'm sorry for interrupting No, you, go ahead. I, I, I think that, um, that that's all well and good in theory, mm-hmm. but let's look at the UN, your international relations major. Why are China and Qatar on the Human Rights Council for the United Nations when they're two of the biggest human rights violator, violators in the entire planet, right? Yeah. So it's like, why do I want you to dictate how we should be cohesively governing ourselves, right? Like, and, that's that's where I'm at. No, and, and that's where, like, every country's at, right? Like, China's like, why would I want to listen? They, they value sovereignty. Why would I listen to what the United States has to say, Iran, same thing. Why can I not develop my nuclear weapons? North Korea, same idea, right? But like, I mean, if we just let everybody do whatever they want, would we ever be able to do things like combat climate change, which takes a global effort, right? Like the only way to do it would be to like increase regulation in a way that's almost scary and new world order. But like, 
is there really another alternative to that? Like, it's a really good question. Like, would people on their own well, eventually I, I think that come we could, together? We, we could start by maybe these people not flying on private jets to go to climate summits. We could start by, you know, the, these climate activists not rolling up with 85 car honorages when they're going places. Um, we, we, you know, we, we could start by, um, I, you know, look, I we, think that the messaging, start- the messaging, the messaging of, of the climate change stuff, um, feels like, and I'm not, I'm not denying climate change, right? But it feels based on how they're messaging it. It feels like it's being used as a way to, um, tax people into oblivion a, and also be mass surveil people. Cause eventually they're going to use climate change as a reason for like why you can only drive your car a certain number of miles or why you can only stay in a um, within a certain like 30 or 50 mile radius where everybody is um densered and clustered up like 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 yeah. sardines uh-huh. for climate change and what, what that's also doing is you know oh yeah you, we just put a bunch of high-tech security over that little radius and we're monitoring everything you do and you got your centralized digital wallet so you're pretty much a prisoner and i think that like i think that i think that these people are um are, are trying to sell um this idea and the veil is they're using like progressivism environmental justice and racial equity as a veil to try to do something that's a lot more nefarious than what is being presented you know i, I took a whole class on like liberalism classic liberalism versus uh other ideals and i think one really legitimate critique of liberalism talk like think about like uh liberalism as in like you know valuing autonomy yeah. not like liberalism in the way we understand like classical liberalism like you know, value autonomy, human rights, democracy, like all that is great. But I think one really legitimate criticism of liberalism is that it really hinges the security of the entire planet on people's ability to make good choices. And like, that's but where- What a good choice for me might not be a good choice for you. A good choice is we are all individual, we are all different individual beings that are like encoded where our, my, my DNA structure is, unique to everybody on the planet. Your DNA structure is unique to everybody on the planet. Yeah, so, everybody's structure is, everybody is their own entity, right? So I think yeah. people should be embracing their individuality but instead of trying think to about, yeah, yeah, I, do blatant and blind conformity. All right, anyway, sorry. That, that's, all, that's all well and good, but then there are topics like climate change where like, I fear that if we don't have some kind of regulation and enforcement of that regulation of like how people use their vehicles, et cetera, We'll never get to a point where we'll realistically solve climate change because we'll always uphold freedom above regulation. And that's great. But I think that freedom would eventually, because humans are flawed, because they don't think in the larger context, and because I think we both agree that people don't understand the nuances of every decision we make every day. Like, I, I think we'll just end up in disaster, right? Like, it's like, but then it's you're, like letting you're... a bunch of children run loose. Okay, but then who's governing us? It's not like some omnipotent godlike being is governing us. It's another human with the same flaws. It's another group of humans with the same flaws that are governing the rest of the humans. So that there's... Yeah, see, but the, the whole idea is that, like, for example, think about police. Uh, police officers enforce laws, but are they above the law? No, the, the law itself, although it's enforced by humans, still is seen as something that lives above anybody and everybody right like the law is a principle it's untouchable and nobody lives above it and and so like that's i think how we try to overcome that right we, we try to create these laws that nobody's above of and and so we just hinge our hopes that like even if humans are imperfect because there's these high and mighty laws that nobody's above like nobody would be able to like 
you know, break these laws, but obviously it's not how it works out in, in practice, right? But well, that's you need, you need the whole theory about making yeah, laws. Yeah, no, I understand that. I mean, I, I think that you're, you're I, 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 idealistically, I'm not arguing with, with you from an idealistic standpoint. Yeah. Um, I, I just, maybe I have a different view of human nature, and I think that maybe some of what we value are, are a little bit, a little bit different in in those departments right so yeah. that, that that's what i'm that's what i'm looking at and i also think that with the climate change stuff man like you know they're, they're um i'm reading articles about people trying to bulldoze like rainforests and stuff to like mine lithium batteries for electric vehicles you know so yeah. like cli- climate change um it ha- has the potential and it's being used as a buzzword to also make a lot of people a lot of money so I think people need to understand that, and I think people are, but I think that it's it's a good thing to really talk about honestly. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, also, like, dude, I, a, a, over a billion dollars, <laughs> sorry, over a billion dollars worth of masks got dumped into the ocean as a result I, of that. So if you want to talk about climate change, that's also. <laughs> I believe it, right? There's intersectionality between all these issues and they're all like stupid complicated, <laughs> right? Which is, which is why like, you know, I, I at least wonder like, should we leave these decisions up to individuals or should we try to value the salvation of the human race above some autonomy? I mean, like, what what is the trade-off, right? Like, because we make that trade-off with government every day, right? You trade off some of your rights uh, to autonomy, right? The right for you to do whatever you want, because you, you can't, right? You live under the United States government and its laws. So you give those rights up, your right to autonomy for some kind of security. How far are we willing to take that if the threat becomes existential to everybody? Are we willing to up the amount of rights we're giving up to trade for security, the security of the that, existence of the human race? I think that's an interesting point. Future. And I also think that um, if, you, if you look at history, anybody that's given up their, that's been willing to give up their freedom for security has um, achieved neither freedom nor security. That, that's, <laughs> well, what I, that's, what I, that's what I've noticed through, through looking at history is that that never, that never works out well when people try to give up their freedom for security. And then when you look at it, the other way around, like, I, I think, like, the international community is a perfect example. Like, when we just let everybody do whatever they want, then you got countries like North Korea making nukes, trying to kill everybody in the United States, right? And how so, you, like, how are you going to stop North Korea from making a nuke? I, I mean, that's the thing. The, you know, international country, like, international, the international community exists in anarchy, right? Like, if you think about, like, there's no real central government internationally. Every country does whatever it wants. And when now then when we look at it we realize that a lot of countries they don't give they don't give a shit how they're affecting other countries they only care about what's benefiting them most and so like do we want anarchy do we want government regulation i mean we've seen both of them play out and they both kind of suck they both suck they both suck i I also think too that like our our um this is deviating so much from what i want to talk about we're we're gonna get back on topic but like i also think that like our, our fiat money system plays a big role in that and it's that when you don't have sound when you don't have sound money um it becomes a lot easier for um governments to just print up insane amounts of money and create a bunch of debt and just spend things on a whole bunch of, and devalue currency and make asset bubbles bigger for like the ultra wealthy and they yeah. do these things without input from the people so i think that if we go back to having sound money a lot of what you're talking about could actually get fixed. You, you think the gold standard would fix? I think a Bitcoin a standard or a sound money standard. Yeah, I think that, that ever since we've gotten um, off sound money and started using the petrodollar, a lot of these problems that you're mentioning have gotten exponentially worse. And I think that yeah, having sound money um, and having sound decentralized money is a huge 
step towards fixing a lot of these issues. Maybe decentralized money like could be a good solution. Like I, I could I could see that being uh, you know like a very functional part of our international community. Like because. Because you're right, like China inflates the prices of their currency arbitrarily whenever they feel like it is. And, and we're doing that too now with all that we've printed over a third of our money supply in the past year. Hey, you know, yeah, but I, I feel like everybody's just kind of playing the game, right? Maybe if we transition into Bitcoin, then the whole the game is completely different. And so like now there's not that part of the economy where countries and governments have so much control over like the value of currency or, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, that that's actually something I'm not, uh, super I, I, yeah. well informed about, but I, but I also understand that like the petrodollar is horrible for the environment. I think that um, when you have a fiat standard and you, you have a currency that you know loses loses value constantly, the only way that you can keep your purchasing power is by buying more and more assets and having more things, right? And be and, and with that mindset and with that standard, you're more willing to like destroy a rainforest so that you, the share prices of your company can go bigger. You can build a gas pipeline or X Y Z, right? Whereas if you have a deflationary asset, then what you have is going to um, increase in value without you having to do anything because you have something valuable of itself with a fixed supply so maybe there's less of an incentive to do all these environmentally destructive things just to um further build on asset bubbles so i think that that's that's a discussion that also needs to be talked about <laughs> yeah and, and, and frankly like uh it's something that i'd, I'd have to probably prepare better look, look, for yeah it's fine that, that's international hey. economy is never it's a whole another another okay anyway um let's go back to gary foster because that, that's really what we were going to yeah, talk about Let, let's go back to uh, gary foster so i was saying yeah i was kind of building a roadmap about how awesome protests were playing out um and that night i had said that you know people were mostly defying police orders by marching on the streets right and that's what that's what was happening that night folks were marching on the street police were behind protesters asking them to get off the street but you know, when there's hundreds of folks like that, that tends to be a pretty empty call out from, you know, APD, unless, you know, they go in and they, you know, arrest a mass amount of people like folks because they're in a large group feel safer acting against the police, right? So anyway, that was happening, right? Folks were just marching down Congress. Uh, and at that point, you know, right at this intersection when half the group was on the intersection and we're talking hundreds of people, right? This car just drives into the crowd. Um, and I found that like extremely peculiar because I mean, I think no matter who you are and whether or not you believe people should rightfully be on the street, you still wouldn't be like, oh, that guy's not supposed to be there. I'm gonna run him over, who cares? Like ethically, I have no problem running over that guy who just walked into the street because he's not supposed to be on the street. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, took that kind of snapshot fact that people were on the street illegally to try to justify uh, this car driving into the street, but I, I can't, right? I think that even if those people didn't belong on the street, I still wouldn't have taken the decision that Daniel Perry did uh, driving into the crowd. So let me ask a question though. Because mm -hmm. um, I also heard um, that he hit a, uh, a, cone. a cone. Yes, he did. I heard he hit a cone. Uh -huh. And I think that because of all the tension that's happening, a lot of the people there thought that he hit a person. Or tried yeah. to hit a person, so they surrounded his car, and because his car got surrounded, he did what he thought he had to do. Well, I mean, maybe. Wait, wait, I just want to know what, what your take on that. So, like, how do you feel about that take being that you were there and you filmed <laughs> it? That, that's what I want to know. I, I mean, that really makes Daniel Perry seem very naive, right? And he's a military sergeant. Uh, I think, like, 
you know, he's smart enough to have known that if he was going to uh, drive into a crowd of people, that it was very likely that somebody may be upset at him, like trying to drive through a crowd of people, therefore putting him in a position where he may be forced to defend himself, right? But I, like I said, I think this guy's trained, he's in the military. I think he's sufficiently, you know, you know, knowledgeable to have known that he was gonna put himself in that kind of danger. So did he defend himself? Maybe, but I, I think that like, maybe, did he think he was quote unquote defending himself? Like maybe, but I, I, I strongly believe that he put himself in a position where he would be able to say he had to defend himself. Uh, I actually have the same viewpoint because I've said yeah. that like, I, I, I said that it just looks like premeditated self-defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's like, a, you didn't, you, you weren't like trying to go just open fire to a crowd of people, but maybe you like had a bad day. Maybe you've been watching, maybe you've been spending too much time on social media. Maybe you're mad about everything that was happening because attention was super high. Yeah. And maybe you're like, man, you know, I wish somebody gave me an excuse and I'm going to go find that excuse. <laughs> like, yeah, I think it's going to be very difficult for a jury to convict this guy. Uh, you know, like in Texas, but, there's a law that says you can't put yourself in harm's way and then claim self-defense. But he also was, um, he also said that he was doing Uber at the time. Yeah. And, and there was a picture of Garrett Foster with a AK-47 in a low ready position. And I've also, I've also um, talked to people there that said that, that that was, um, the picture is kind of deceiving and whatnot. Yeah. And I know his wife is, or his uh, fiance or wife was like, you know, a quadruple amputee yeah. in a wheelchair. I know there's a lot of that stuff. I'm not shit talking Garrett Foster at all. Yeah. Um, but I think that, um, that that that's just something to ask a question, right? Because you were there. No, yeah, of course. Like I, I I strongly think that you know there there's a lot of evidence that points to Daniel Perry intentionally putting himself in a position where he may have planned to claim self defense after killing somebody. I mean, like not only is he not allowed to carry a weapon inside of the cabin of the vehicle while he's doing Uber, but also the speed at which he was able to draw his weapon after driving into a crowd is ridiculous, right? Like, it's almost like he drove in, five seconds later, shots are ringing. The other thing as well for me is that like the, you know, there was uncovered Twitter posts of him talking about exactly how he would react if he was in a situation of self-defense. That's true, but everybody also says a bunch of shit on Twitter too, like, Somebody can look at my Twitter and, and call me a right-wing extremist because yeah. of what I say about a bunch of things too. So that's... I, I, yeah, I, I think legally that may not be admissible as evidence that like he premeditated the murder because like, you know, the, the only way that that would be evidence is if it was, um, you know, if he had put down the steps, I'm going to go to Congress, I'm going to, you know, drive into the crowd. If he had done that, then maybe. But legally, I, I don't think it's admissible, but I think it does give us insight to his character and how far he was willing to go and how angry he was at the protest. I agree with you. I know I agree. Um, I also, it was also, the street was completely dead because everything was closed. Yeah. So it's not like you had to navigate through traffic at all. Yeah. Like it's not like you really had anywhere to be. Um, I think I had, you know, I had uh, Ken Cassidy on my podcast. Oh, wow. And it's, I talked to him about that and I said, yeah. you know, I think that one of the, one of the determining factors for this case should be to see what his ride history was like yeah. was he giving like did he have a ride request because if you're saying he was doing uber and he was driving and he had to pick somebody up okay well then that kind of makes sense yeah um if you um if you didn't which it seems kind of highly unlikely that you would because everything was dead yeah 
Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's something that people should look at when it comes to doing evidence. Yeah. Um. So I th- th- that's my take on it. I've always I and and I, I I've said this because I saw the Kyle the whole Kyle Rittenhouse thing happen. I think that happened a little bit afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think that um, those are different cases. Yeah. And I think I, yeah. I, and I honestly feel based on watching the video and understanding what went down and also listening to him talk. Yeah. And I really think that Kyle Rittenhouse didn't do anything wrong. He defended himself, and I think that the jury made the right decision. Um, as a result of that, and the media also demonized him unjustly with what happened. So that's what I think. And, and I'm saying that because there's an importance to have nuanced discussions with this, yeah. you know? So uh, I agree. I think that, like, it was self-defense. Um, I actually spent a lot of time researching this because my friend put together a report for an academic study at Rice, and I was able to contribute uh, to that report. And we looked at the legality of the situation of Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, and it just seems like legally, you know, it, it was self-defense the way that the situation played out. Uh, you know, the, the, the verdict was correct. You know, the only difference, I guess, you know, between me and someone like Tucker Carlson or someone else that has interviewed Kyle Rittenhouse since is that I want to congratulate, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse. And I definitely also think that, uh, Did he congratulate him or did he just have a discussion with him? Tucker Carlson didn't congratulate him, but somebody else that interviewed him congratulated him. Yeah, that's a, that's in bad taste because I don't think killing. that because I, I don't think that like somebody like that is happy that he had to do that. I think, yeah, I no, think it's a tragedy no, and, like that on, on every aspect of it, right? And, that, and that's what Kyle said. You know, he said like I don't want to be congratulated for this. Like I would have chosen not to kill people if I could have chosen, right? Um, so I I mean like you know at the end of the, I I think like from the very beginning his choice to be there. Uh, you know what I mean? The fact that he was under age, uh, all of that. I mean, I don't like it. You know, I it's, think. It, but it's bad. But you know what though? Like when, when, really bad. when, when you have governors and mayors that do nothing to address it, and police are, are standing down while it's happening. I, I, I understand what was in his head. Well, I, I understand, and I think I want to say one like, quick thing, right? Like because my take on the cops, and I said this before, is that they were overly aggressive to people that protested peacefully in the streets mm-hmm. and then they did nothing when people were actually looting and rioting small businesses and that kind of like got me a little upset when i that, that that's what I, that's my like two cents yeah you know what you're right but i think that like that's um that's being naive right to think that like the police is just standing by ignorantly like you know just taking a break chugging some water or, you know I, well, I think like, they're being told I, to stand down by these governors and these mayors because there's an agenda for chaos well no honestly i think that they were told to stand down because you know logistically they understood that their intervention may have made things worse and that's kind of what happened in the case of kyle right kyle was like like the cops are going to do anything about it i will but he didn't understand that the cops weren't doing anything about it because they knew that that's exactly how a situation would play out had they intervened right like you think it would have got worse i yeah if the police intervened in, in these riots yeah more people would have been killed i mean it's like you're adding a resistance you're adding to the fire and all that yeah. yeah you're adding a resistance and so you're adding a point for potential conflict and i feel like that's what kyle rittenhouse did but legally you know in that moment he was defending himself so i mean like i i just think he was naive i think he's like, like, but i think he also was putting out a fire you know while, while this was happening and he was putting out a fire no which they, is they, his responsibility well you know what uh yeah, he, he still did the right thing putting out a fire is still the right yeah. thing to do well, like you, well, you're well, putting out a fire that was going towards a gas station um and the person who was pushing that that gas station car was joseph so, rosenbaum so, who like unrelated he 
went to jail for fucking children. So, so, so I, I, I mean, I think that's besides the point, right? Like, like, but I, I, I do think that, like, because I don't think who Joseph Rosenbaum was has any anything to do with whether or not what Kyle Rittenhouse did was okay. But I, I think about it this way, man. Like, like, there's a building fire, right? You know, and if I was Kyle Rittenhouse, what I would try to do to put out that building fire is get a cup of water and throw it. You know, you know at, at the fire. Let's say in the process, right? right somebody tries right. to stop me from, you know, you know someone tries to beat the shit out of me for putting up the fire, and I kill him. Right. I'm justified to defend myself. But was I really doing anything to begin with by throwing a cup of water at the fire? I mean, no. And somebody died because I was there, right? And that's kind of shitty. I mean, like, it's it's not wrong, really, right? The whole situation, it's like, the whole situation shitty. It's like, the whole situation it's really. Yeah, and it's naiveness, I think, like, to think that you can go and somehow stop this, right, you know, with you and your AK-47, that's Yeah, like, yeah, I understand that. It's playing the hero when you really can't be. I mean, he's a, a child, and you're a child, and you did what you thought. I really think he did what he genuinely thought was the right thing to do anyway, and turned out to be an unspeakable tragedy. But, um, you had a falling out with some of these protesters. Why? What happened? You can't, can't see That's fine, I'll, I'll do the audio then. That's all right, we're back. We had some technical difficulties. Um, the weather, or not the weather, the, uh, it got dark. Um, and the battery. Battery issues, but we're back. I'm excited. I was really uh, bummed that we were going to have to cut this short with no ending, but uh, we're back. We're live. We were talking uh, about, uh, so what was your reaction? Uh, like, so you have going out with the protest with some of these protesters. I, I, wonder, I really want to talk about that. I think that's extremely important for a big, like, piece of also you didn't really get it, you know, now, of course. So, uh, I, I think that, like, like the, uh, the falling out of protesters is really complicated. And it also indicated a shift in direction and intentions of the movement. Right? Um, see, I, I think, like, you're doing a public demonstration, the whole purpose of that is to raise awareness, right, of particular issues. Not as many people watching as possible. Why? Oh, oh, I never wrong. Like, you be caught up that straw man, man. You start doing that. 
you know, emotions and your passion for the issue. Um, and, and it becomes really hard to distinguish what is, you know, a good strategy and what fuels that moral righteousness that you have. Um, and distinguishing between the two is a matter of critical thinking. But um, I think that, you know, in specifically the context that I was facing in Austin, um, like I said, I, I think I was, you know, really facing this uh, shift in the movement from people who were there to demonstrate publicly to people that were there for a communist revolution. And, you know, frankly, uh, independent media <laughs> in a war is not, you know, like the most strategic uh, plan. And so, like, I was, you know, denied that, you know, ability to be an independent. Independent media is the most important thing that we have uh, globally as a result of our yeah. It is the reason that, um, that the cop is, is going to go to jail for the rest of his life and kill George Floyd. Mm -hmm. um, it's, the, it's, it's the reason the people who killed Alvin Arbery are, are, are guilty. It's the yeah. reason Kyle Rittenhouse um, was proven innocent and not falsely labeled as like a Dylan Root type Charlottesville type incident because if they didn't have vid independent videos of that, that's how they would have labeled him. Yeah. Um, so it really showed the importance of independent media, the trustworthiness of independent media really got brought to light as a result of everything that's happening and, and, it's, and it's only growing stronger so I, I really do appreciate you for um doing that and, I, and I, I hope that like nothing ever stops you from being an independent journalist and i think what got me upset about this was the fact that when when people start attacking independent journalists like that destroy that is disincentivizing and trying to destroy independent media and then when you do that the only media you have is propaganda and that yeah. is that that's something that we should never allow to happen and be okay with. Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, I, I think that, you know, the rise of independent media is gonna be a crucial uh, point in the way that hopefully we address things like big tech, right? And, and like big corporations, like big media, right? We start to see beyond what they provide and, and start to see that there's a whole other way that we could do journalism that's not, you know, like following the rules. Yeah, or... hey, you should join the Float app too, because I, I um, it's a it's a decentralized alternative to Twitter. Uh, and there's a hashtag called Float off to Twitter, F L O T. Uh -huh. But uh, consider joining that, right? Just or like uh, consider adding to your repertoire of platforms to really broadcast yourself out. You know, something that I, I really believe in, uh, and, and it strongly fuels this idea of being unbiased for me is uh, is a philosopher called Mills uh, and he states that it's important to constantly be tolerant of intolerant ideas because it provides you the ability to confirm that what you believe is right right like if we're silencing people that are wrong um, then we'll never know we're right because we'll never have something to compare our ideas to because we're just silencing anything that's you know in indirect disagreement yeah. with, with what we believe and, and it's, that's, it's, it's dangerous it shouldn't happen like yeah it's it shouldn't and honestly like i i see where a lot of people feel concerned because like people feel like if we allow like you know for example you know if we're tolerant to intolerant people then they won't tolerate us in return well that but also like that we that would mean like being okay with nazis right yeah like, i mean i'm a jew dude like i i you don't have to talk to me about that twice, like, right? Like, I understand. It's like, would I, would I punch a Nazi or would I sit down and talk to him? And, you know, most people would feel like it's I want to just punch a Nazi in the face. But then at the same time, when that word gets overly thrown around, and it gets thrown around to the point where, oh, yeah, if you disagree with this agenda or this narrative or you're vocal, they can just gaslight you and call you that. Well, that's another form of Nazism. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you know like, what I mean. It, like that, that's another form of Nazism. It's just under different. It's just and, with a different name. And the, and the thing is too, like, if you punch a Nazi in the face, the Nazi's gonna hate you, man, and he's not gonna listen to what you have to say. And then now you're like, you know, more divided and less likely to change each other's mind. And like, you know what I mean? Like, I think the only way to really, you know, bring the country closer together. Uh, is by generating conversations even yeah. with people that, that you, you know, disagree like, with. Yeah, because that's the only way to, because a lot of times man, there's a horseshoe effect. Yeah. There, and a lot of people, especially on like the far left and the far right, agree on a lot more shit than they disagree with. <laughs> they, just come at, they just come at it from a different standpoint. Like, the theory yeah, like, dude, you've got so many more conservatives that are going to be pro-union now because of vaccine mandates. Yeah. They, people on the left should be like honing in on that and trying to like, get conservatives to support pro-union candidates instead of yelling at them because they don't want to get vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, like... Yeah, that makes sense, yeah, right? Like, yeah, I mean, that takes a, you know, like, being able to, like, sit down and talk to somebody you want to punch takes a high level of maturity. And frankly, I don't know if humans are prepared for that. I don't know if we're smart enough to overcome our emotions. Our emotions are really strong things. But again, I think the only solution is, is to teach emotional maturity and moral humility by... You know, teaching people how to think critically at an early age. I just don't think that happens, and I think it doesn't happen because we're so industrial focused on math, science, and you well, know, yeah, also the Rockefellers. Well, also, also the Rockefellers and all these like mega billionaires and these like globalist type people that we were talking about earlier in the episode all fund the education system, and they have an incentive to create workers and not um, entrepreneurs and creators, right? Because yeah. the more you create, the more you innovate, the more you do anything, yeah. the more that system, the more the pre-existing system of power gets obsolete um, yeah because it's inefficient you know like now you're not tailoring it to work you know in a way that's generating the max uh the the biggest amount of profit now you're just letting everybody do whatever they feel is best and to think for themselves and like a, a society i don't think you'll create a lot exactly what i think you'll create a, lot, <laughs> create a lot of really cool innovative stuff though if you're kind of bottlenecking got thrown out the window but that's like i said that's some a whole other uh yeah 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 no, but look, I, you know, and, and we talk about these really big concepts, but not really, like, I think that that's, you know, what we saw, the way that, you know, folks reacted to my uh, journaling and everything, all of that is just a symptom, you know, of how our society functions nowadays and how people are responding to their emotions or passions, like how little they think critically. I mean, like, it, it's like a whole, I'm very pessimistic about human nature and I just don't think enough people. Hey, I understand, man. Hey, listen, uh, we got to wrap up because I'm sure you're busy and I got to start working. Uh, how do we get a hold of you? Uh, how do we get a hold of you? Yeah, how do we get a hold of you on social media? Like, how do we find you? How do we see your work? Because oh, you've yeah. done some really awesome stuff. Man. Of course. Uh, uh, I think we need more journalists like you to be objective and independent. So <laughs> we, I, I really believe that. Like, we need more people out there like you. Yeah, no, you can find me at uh, Hiram. That's H-I-R-A-M-G-I-L-B-E-R-T-L. So like Gilbert with an L. Uh, if you look me up like that, you'll probably find like 99% of my social media pages either on Google or if you go on so give, give us Give us your handles, man. Come on, don't be shy. So my handle is Hiram Gilberto on, on, on Facebook. That's uh, You can also look it up as facebook.com slash I-M-H-I-R-A-M. Uh, I'm Hiram. And then you can find me on Instagram as Hiram.G.Garcia. You can find me on Twitter as Hiram.G.Garcia as well. Um, and yeah, 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 uh, that's, uh, and then on Twitch, I'm on is I'm Hiram Live, so I am H-I-R-M Live. Love it, dude. Thank you so much, man. Hiram Garcia, guys. Dude, <laughs> thank you. Excited. Thank you. So this is a Likewise. great episode. Yeah, thank it you. was. Thank All right. You. We got to get a picture.
Uh, Gary.